Crime Scene and Cupcakes is an independent podcast created in the Anchor app, funded mainly through advertising. The podcast often has coarse language and disturbing content. Please listen wisely. Hey guys, it's Marianne, dog mom, baker, true crime podcast maker, and I know we've been a little sporadic with the episodes lately, but my excuse number one is it's the holidays. Everything gets crazy around the holidays, but number two, we actually have good reason. We have been a member of a group called Uncovered.com. It is an amazing place if you're interested in cold cases and making a difference and trying to find answers for these victims' families. And it is a group of people with like-minded thought processes and trying to find these answers. So in working with them, we've actually gotten closer to finding some of the information that we need. And I'm hoping maybe by the new year, in some of the cases that we've been working on, we could have some tangible information that we could show to law enforcement that we think might bring us closer to actually closing some of these open cases. Really excited and we hope you stay tuned and listen to us into the new year. So today's podcast is again a little bit different. With it being the holidays, I wanted to kind of take a break from some of the cold cases and talk a little bit about our history of homicides in Kansas. Today's homicide is something that was horrible that happened a long time ago and it's kind of interesting how worlds dissected and came together back then. Who were these people and what have they passed on to us? Who was grandma? Who was grandpa? Mr. Clutter. He's a great guy. He was easily met. When you walked into a room, he wanted to talk to you. Uncle Herbert was my mom's favorite brother. One thing that I think of always is just that feeling of safety. You know, being at Uncle Herbert's house or in his company felt secure. And you felt as though you were in good hands. This is the case of Lowell Lee Andrews in Wolcott, Kansas. Now, to all appearances, Lowell Lee Andrews seemed like the kind of son parents would be proud to have. Lowell was 18 years old at the University of Kansas as a sophomore. He was majoring in zoology and played the bassoon at the Kansas University Band. As a teenager in the late 1950s, Andrew was known as being perfectly polite around his whole hometown of Wolcott, Kansas. Now, Wolcott, Kansas is upriver of Kansas City. Now, the thing is, is Andrews, he was a big kid. He stood about six foot one at his 18 years of age, and he was more than 250 pounds. But he had this Midwestern, just perfect, quiet, and politeness about him. He was not the sort to try to stand out, and despite his musical knack and considerable academic ability, particularly in science, 
He just liked to stay quiet and be reserved and was just a good, perfect, all-around kid. He was a church-going Baptist, and people described him with the words like sweet and gentle. And one neighbor actually put it that he was the nicest boy in Wolcott. In fact, that was on the headlines quite a bit after this event. So Lowell Lee's parents, William and Opal, they were successful farmers. His only sibling was his older sister, Jeannie, and she attended college in Oklahoma. Now, again, Andrews was not an overly social kid, but he enjoyed his books. He was content to spend evenings in his room, lost in a book. I, there's a lot of us like that. His mother, she sometimes worried that he was too solitary. But she said, okay, my son is simply just self-conscious because he's a big kid for his age. So maybe because he's of his size and stuff, he's just very self-conscious and wants to keep to himself. But in any case, he seemed sufficiently adjusted when he finished high school and then went away to KU in Lawrence, which was about an hour's drive from Wolcott. He studied zoology, played the bassoon in the college orchestra, and I got to tell you, it's one of the few times I've ever heard of somebody playing the bassoon. It wasn't an average instrument I'm used to hearing, and maybe it was played a lot more back then, but that was interesting to me. His freshman year passed, and he was well into his second year at Lawrence. Again, no issues, no problems, nothing that stood out. And then he, both he and his sister came home from college for Thanksgiving in 1958. And again, it was just a normal, cold, and snowy evening. The family hunkers down. It's a Friday night. Lee's sister and parents were in the living room watching TV while Andrews was in bed reading. He was reading the brothers Karsmanoff. He finished the book. He went into the bathroom and he shaved. He put on fresh clothing. He then retrieved two 22 caliber guns from a closet and then what they referred to as a varmint rifle and a Ruger pistol. He holstered the pistol on his hip. He held the rifle across his chest and marched down the hall to kill his family. Lee switched the light on in the living room, pointed the long gun at his sister and fired. She had no idea it was coming. He hit her between the eyes. As his parents were just sitting there in shock, he fired again and again at his parents. Six shots for his mom, two for his dad. But his father did not die immediately. Skittering across the floor toward the kitchen, Lowell emptied the pistol into him, reloaded, and then emptied it again. His father was hit 
17 times in all. Lowell Andrews then raised the window in his bedroom, methodically removed the screen, and went room to room, opening the drawers and scattering the contents. He left the carnage and drove over slippery roads to his boarding house in Lawrence. He paused at a bridge to toss the guns into the Kansas River. He even struck up a conversation with his landlady, explaining he'd come to get his typewriter for a homework assignment. He then drove to the Granada Theater in Lawrence and watched the late show of Mardi Gras. Lowell Lee Andrews then left the carnage he created and drove over the slippery roads to his boarding house in Lawrence, pausing at a bridge to toss the guns into the raging Kansas River. He then stopped and struck up a conversation with his landlady, explaining that he'd come back to Lawrence for a homework assignment and to grab his typewriter. After that, he drove over to the Granada Theater in Lawrence to watch a late show called Mardi Gras. Again, he was unusually talkative, chatting with an usher and then also a candy counter girl. I guess that's what they were called back in those days. The movie ends at 11 p.m. and at that time, Andrews drives back to his home in Walcott, feeds the family dog, and calls the sheriff to report a robbery has happened at the family home. A deputy by the name of Myers later describes the scene when he arrives. He states, this very big dark-haired boy named Lowell Lee was sitting on the porch, just casually petting his dog. Lieutenant Anthony states, when he asks the boy what happened, the boy just points to the door real casual-like and says, Look in there. When another cop later asks him about funeral arrangements, Lowell Lee states, I don't care what you do with them. As the officers are becoming increasingly concerned, at 3 a.m., the sheriff rouses the family minister, a man by the name of Vertro Dameron, and he asks him to have a word with young Andrews. Dameron gives Andrews a Coke and talks with him about school, how Thanksgiving went, and then he asks him, Lowly, you didn't have anything to do with this terrible thing, did you? If you did, now is the time to purge your soul. And it was at this time that Andrews nodded and confessed.
When asked to describe what emotions he felt while killing his family, he said he didn't feel anything about it. The time came and he was doing what he had to do. And that's really all there is to it. Andrews was taken to the manager clinic, which is a psychotherapy clinic in Topeka, Kansas, for Dr. Joseph Saturn. Now, Dr. Joseph Saturn is actually well known and has published several papers on mental health disorders. Now, he was well known for that time period. And for that time period, he was very well known and advanced, again, for that time period. Now, since then, the field of mental health care has grown and it has debunked some of his theories. But at the time, he judged that Andrews was schizophrenic, but not delusional. He said his motive was irrational and he hoped to inherit the... Since then, several people in Lowell Lee Andrews' history have come forward and talked about Lowell Lee Andrews' fascination with mob movies and becoming a hitman. He always dreamed of growing up and becoming a hitman. That was something that he dreamed of. That was a goal of his. He idolized the mobster lifestyle. So whether or not it was schizophrenia or it was his goal and it was his dream and he thought he could kill his family and actually stage this murder and it was a delusion that he could actually stage the murder and get away with it and inherit the family farm and live this glorious life of a hitman, we'll never really know. But Dr. Satin had deemed these murders and had said that these slayings seemed to fit a type of homicide which he said that Andrews had become fascinated with and he called them sudden murders is what they were deemed at the time. And he said, those murders are something that have a scant motive and are committed by someone who appears sane before and after the crime. And that's how he deemed it at the trial. Andrews was emotionally detached from the murders, but he understood that he deserved punishment. And that's what the doctor said. Now, at the trial, they did try the insanity defense, and it failed. And Andrews was convicted and condemned to hang. His insanity defense at trial, and Andrews, the insanity defense failed. And Andrews was convicted and condemned to hang. Now, fate, as it were, placed him on Kansas death row at Lansing Prison, Dick Hickok, and Perry Smith. That was the infamous duo of the In Cold Blood Killers. Some of you might remember the In Cold Blood book by Truman Capote and the subsequent movies. That was the killers of the Clutter family from Holcomb, Kansas. 
Now, Truman Capote became obsessed with these murders and came to Holcomb, Kansas and turned Holcomb, Kansas essentially on its head. But he also, Truman Capote became kind of obsessed with Andrews himself. And it was just because of the quietness of Andrews. In fact, as the three became acquainted, the author, Truman Capote, quoted in his book of one of the things Hickok had that he said about Andrews. And Hickok was quoted saying, Andy is a funny kid. It was like I told him. Andy has no respect for human life, not even his own. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar, Herbert Herb Clutter was a prosperous farmer in western Kansas. His two older daughters, Ivana and Beverly, had moved out and started their own adult lives. And then he had two younger daughters, Nancy, who was 16, and Kenyon, who was 15. They were high school students. And Clutter's wife, Bonnie, she had clinical depression and some other physical ailments since the birth of her children. And they, the children attended Holcomb High School. Now, Richard Dick Haycock and Perry Smith, they were two ex-convicts who had recently been paroled from Kansas State Penitentiary. And Floyd Wells, he was another cellmate of Hickok, and he had been a former farmhand of Herb Clutter. And he had told Hickok that Clutter had a, a safe on his property that was full of cash, which was a lie. But Hickok became obsessed with this idea and had assumed that the Clutters had all of this money. And it became this obsession of his that he was going to go to the Clutters farm and he was going to rob them with Perry Smith. And they go and their, their idea was they were going to go, they were going to rob them and flee to Mexico. Instead, it ended in horrendous murders of the family and just horrible torture of the family throughout the evening. And one of the things that I will never get out of my mind is as the police were pulling evidence from the house after they discovered the clutter's dead was this horrible blood-stained mattress that was in the middle of the yard. It is something that forever in my life will always be tattooed in my head. But another thing I will never forget is when Truman Capote with Harper Lee, when they came to Holcomb, Kansas, is just how they changed that town. I think the scars of Truman Capote in Holcomb, Kansas will forever be tattooed on that town as well. So, on November 30th, 1962, Lloyd Lee Andrews ate his final meal of fried chicken, and he lumbered to the gallows. Now, they had to specially make the gallows for him. He had lost quite a bit of weight while he had been in prison, but still, he was a big guy, 
and they had to specifically create the gallows for him. He declined to speak to anybody as he went on to the gallows, and a reporter was reported saying that he was outwardly remorseless and disinterested. However, before he died, he gave Hickok a stanza from a poem by Thomas Gray. It concluded, The paths of glory lead but to the grave. So I wanted to find that poem, and I have it here. This is a poem by Thomas Gray. The boast of heraldy, the pomp of power, and all that beauty, all that wealth, Error gave, away to like, the inevitable hour, the paths of glory lead, but to the grave. So that is a poem by Thomas Gray, written in the country churchyard in 1750. So, we will still never really understand why Andrews decided to just, after eating Thanksgiving and spending time with his family, this young man who is labeled one of the most polite young boys in Walcott, Kansas, decided to get multiple weapons that he obviously didn't need and shot his sister between the eyes and emptied bullet after bullet after bullet into his parents. There's no evidence of abuse. There's no evidence of any previous issues, any previous behavior problems. He was a quiet young man. He enjoyed the bassoon. He was studying zoology. There are no reports that anybody can see who decided to annihilate his family after Thanksgiving. But that is just one of the dark histories that you will find in the recesses of Kansas. I want to thank you guys for listening. Our sources for today's podcast are The Nicest Boy in Walcott, Polite Lowell Lee Andrews Proved to be Another Cold Kansas Killer by David J. Krawjack in The Daily News. It was a special to the news, February 20th, 2010. And then also the video excerpt that we provided in Cold Blood was a video tribute long making of a murderer or serial captivated audiences in cold blood Truman Capote's nonfiction account of a Kansas family's brutal farmhouse slaying in 1959. It was published in People Magazine on November 17, 2017. Thank you again so much for listening. 
Since this has been a shorter podcast, I just want to take a moment to remind people the whole reason this podcast was started was due to the fact that we have been trying to find answers in the murder of my friend, Krista Martin, who was murdered on October 1st of 1989. We have reached out to the local police department here in Wichita, Kansas, repeatedly asking for any answers and any information, or just asking that they post additional information on her case that might help the community or the public gain further insight or maybe gain any insight on any of the over 200 cold cases that they have here in Wichita, Kansas. Excuse me. They haven't been listening to our pleas. They don't listen. There is a new chief of police here in Wichita, Kansas, and I am truly hoping that he hears our words. There is so little information on the cold cases here in Wichita, Kansas. We understand that there are cases happening every day, but there are amazing resources out there now for cold cases. It has been proven and shown. The advances in social media has been amazing in helping close some of these cold cases and help with peace of mind to family members. Podcasts have been shown and proven to make a difference when it comes to cold cases these days. So please, Wichita Police Department and the community of Wichita, Kansas, help us in closing these cold cases and giving a peace of mind, never closure to these families, but a little bit of peace of mind and knowing that justice can eventually be served. Thank you. For anybody, for any information, Wichita Police Department does have a website. It hasn't been functioning. I'm hoping it is now. The Sedgwick County Police Department has been amazing in sharing information on their cold cases and giving the public access to their cold cases. They have been intricate in making sure their cold cases on trying to get information and tips. We will be sharing all of those on our social media again today, as always. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe.